Hey, I'm Deb. Hey, I'm Bo. And we're the new podcast editors for Empowered Journalism. This episode, we speak to Invictus Games athlete and RAF veteran Rachel Williams. And believe me when I tell you this is an incredible episode, which details a truly amazing journey full of setbacks, but also full of positivity and optimism. The energy and humour that Rachel brings to this interview is just truly inspiring. So please stick around and give it a listen. Um, And I hope you find it as inspiring as we did. If you haven't already, please go back and listen to episode two with uh, boxer Rika Aquino from the Philippines. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. So without further ado, let's get on with today's episode. I've been training at like 3am for like two and a half hours and then back afterwards after school at, I don't know, it must have been about seven or something, five hours a day in the pool. That was when I injured myself in training. And all I thought I did was just break my right foot. And just that reality hitting. But I think I've just suppressed it for so long. You can do it, just give it a go. I've always been sporty. That was from day one. It all started mainly because I was born premature and the doctor recommended to get into sport to learn how to breathe, coordinate, balance, just all the basics. And from that moment, I was pushed into swimming mainly because my mum didn't want us to go on holiday and for you know one of her children to like fear the water water like you know any accidents they might go into or drowning or something so I was sort of pushed into the water to get all those sort of functions developing and everything and um, me being me I sort of tucked it like a duck to the pond you should say and I found it almost natural because I had to force myself to sort of develop all these coordinations and everything and that's sort of how I really got into sport in the first place and once I started doing lessons a coach sort of spotted me and said oh do you know there's a swimming club here you know you should come and join it me being a hyperactive little child that probably needed taming a little bit just thought yeah why not you know it's a club you get a top you know there's always something out of it that all children like and um eventually I was becoming a swimmer from such a young age and by the time I was age 13 I was already at the nationals and then from my teenage years wanting to be this Olympian because all my friends that I knew and there's a female swimmer now coach called Melanie Marshall who I used to sort of look up to and she now coaches Adam Peaty and it's a complete whirlwind how I sort of looked up to all these people and then next minute I'm like oh maybe that could be me. Why not give it a go? And I've always been taught from a young age to always try because you just never know what you might find yourself getting into. And so years later, I find, you know, I'm getting pretty good at the swimming stuff and um, let's try and set the goal for the Olympics for the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And to get there, you have to get to the Commonwealth Games and sort of build yourself up from the nationals and I got qualified into the national finals which was also that year the Commonwealth trials finals and I had back-to-back finals and all I remember was doing my absolute best race ever but being a split second too slow and I missed out on that opportunity because I didn't touch that wall that split second quick enough to actually be in that selective top two positions. And so just like that, 10 years of training, 
getting up at ridiculous time in the morning and dragging my parents around doing competitions every weekend and even training at like 3am for like two and a half hours and then back afterwards after school at, I don't know, it must have been about seven or something, five hours a day in the pool and seven hours at school, that was my life. And it was all gone in that moment. And I just thought, well, that's it. You know, dream smashed, can't do it anymore. That one opportunity that I had, I failed at and I didn't quite get around to doing it. And so me being a stroppy teenager at the time, just thought, well, let's just quit. I can't wait another year. I'll be starting getting a little bit too old because I think I was about 16, 17 at the time. And normally if you keep going, you almost get slower and slower unless you really push that self sort of professionally and push yourself up a little bit more. And yeah, just like that, I was a stroppy teenager. I said I was going to stop swimming. Everyone can have their lives back. My family can go back to, you know, doing their normal jobs and having a life, not being in a car or a pool. And I, my sister was actually in the Royal Navy and I had this idea that, you know, I'll just follow my sister, I'll just go on a boat around the world and it'd be like the ferry and having this <laughs> amazing idea of um, travelling and then I realised actually you need to look at what jobs you want to do and that's when I realised I wanted to be a physical training instructor, a PTI, but the only way to get into the military straight as a PTI is to join the Royal Air Force. To do the Navy or the Army, you have to be in another trade first and then switch into the PTI as a secondary role. And I just thought, well, RAF it is. Let's join up, let's do it. And then I joined up in July 2007, age 18, thinking the world is my oyster. I'm amazing. I've done all this swimming. No one needs to know, but you know, I'm fairly fit. And I go for all the selection tests, everything was absolutely fine. Got selected and I started training. Basic training was really fun actually. I think I saw it as almost like a summer camp. You know, you're getting paid to being told what to do. Like what more does a you know, sort of a teenager want really? And was never really someone to create ideas or to, you know, push people. I was quite happy someone telling me what to do and I will just do it. It's probably why the military worked for me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, I did this physical training, instructor training. And it was during this that I was ill and I had, we don't actually know what it was. I think it was like a heart murmur or something. And at the time, because I had to have a break to have all appointments and checkups and all that sort of that stuff, stuff, they said, um, let's just pause you out of training and then we can see how you are and then get you back in. But little did I know, if you take a little time off, it takes even longer to build it back up and it gets even harder to get back into that training sort of mentality and fitness. And so in the end, I decided I don't have to be an instructor to enjoy sport. You can do any trade in the military and enjoy sport. So that's when I decided I'll become a medic and I had to go back through training again with all these young sort of sprightly athletes and trainees that have just joined up and there's me of a couple of years behind me thinking, you know, oh, I can take them on, you know, absolutely fine, nothing to worry about. And little did I know, Medic was actually 
quite a fun role and I think because I didn't really have an aspiration to do it I sort of learned to love it along the way and then I finished all my training graduated and that was in July 2010 and I went straight into my first military post which was at RAF Waddington in Lincolnshire and that's when I really got to know my job and me being me I thought oh let's look at sports again because you might get some free stash Nothing that's the military mindset. You sort of do stuff to get the kit, mainly. But um, I thought, you know, let's uh, give it a go. Um, I told someone, you know, I was a bit of, did a bit of swimming back in my past, but I never actually told them how high of a standard. I just said, you know, I just doggy paddled with finesse. And I just went along one day and I thought, oh, well, me being a bit of a perfectionist, I can't just jump in, splash about, you know, be really bad and the competitive nature that I've got, I want to smash it, go as hard as I can and sort of go, oh, you know, I was just going my gentle, slow self. But um, it wasn't long before I found out the coach of the RAF swimming team knew my previous coach and, yeah, he found out sort of how high my standard was, my aspects of wanting to be this Olympian and, um, and yeah, but I think for me, going back in the pool, having that I don't know, smell of chlorine. I think it just sets you back. You just think, why am I doing this? Am I doing it for fun? Am I just doing it for the stash? And I think that's when I just realised I wasn't enjoying it for what it was. And I thought, why don't I just try something new, stop doing stuff that's safe all the time, you know, try and push myself out there and sort of enjoy something a bit different. And that's when I was introduced to rugby. Because, you know, it's not one sport, I'm doing another sport. And I'm a massive rugby fan. I support Lesser Tigers. I've watched it for years and years and years, but never thought I could actually play it. And then I realised my shoulders of a swimmer makes a perfect prop <laughs> and I can do some really good tackles. And, um, and that was my skill set, really. So I spoke to the RAF Rugby Union team. I said, you know, let's get me back into uh, a fancy giving it a go. And they just said, oh, what would you like to do, be a forward or a back? And I was like, I don't know. And someone else just said, yeah, you're a forward. You don't run, do you? And I was like, no, I don't run. He said, yeah, you'll be good. We need more forwards. And so my role was just to plod as best I could and uh, just tackle someone. And that was sort of my job in the role, which I, I quite liked in a weird way. And then, um, and I'm still serving at this time, so it was great because you got paid to do sport, which was even better. And, uh, and in between the sports, I did a tour to the Falkland Islands as well. So I did a four-month tour as a medic, doing a bit of aeromed at the same time. And, yeah, just living in a military dream, really, just doing everything. And then it came to... It was... What date was it? October 2014 was when I was on a rugby training camp. And that was when I injured myself in training. And all I thought I did was just sprain my right thumb. Really nothing. I just got it taped up by the physio. I played the game the following day. So I just thought, you know, I'm invincible. And it wasn't until later down the line that we realised it wasn't just a thumb sprain. This is actually affecting your hand. This is actually a bit more serious. You need to be a bit more, I don't know, adult about it. Stop just, you know, brushing it all off all the time. And that's when, I guess, reality hit. And I thought, actually, 
it starts to get hard being a medic. You can't exactly train to do CPR or help a patient or, you know, bandage them with one and a half hands. And it just needs to be, I don't know, you just need to sort of be a bit truthful to yourself to say, you know what, can you actually do this? How can you do this? You know, you need to find different ways. And it's not always safe to actually do things one-handed and hold your mouth it's just not hygienic you know you just can't treat people like that and so I was told um, you're going to go on limited duties you can't do your full medic job and so that just made me go into this spiral of I'm not enjoying it anymore you know there's not a lot I can actually do about it but yeah fast forward a couple of years I realised this hand injury is actually more of an issue than I realised and I had to go to it's called like a medical board so they test your sort of fitness in a general sort of way to see whether you could actually do your job and yeah I just thought you know what it's just a thumb sprain nothing they'll just say oh yeah you'll just have to work around maybe do your job in a slightly different way and you'll figure it out but little did I know that day when I went for that appointment was the last day I ever wore my uniform and that was it they just shook my hand and said thank you for your service and I was just like, that is horrendous. You know, these people that come in. And I thought, everyone must have worse injuries than me. I've just gone in with a little niggle. It's nothing. But that's when they sort of make it a bit more black and white. And you realise, actually, you've only got use of one hand. And this potentially could be getting worse. We just can't guarantee it anymore. Are you actually going to be effective doing your role and being able to treat people? And so I, yeah, that it was really strange. I just remember being in this room, this doctor just telling you, you know, this is the end of your career. And I just had no plan whatsoever. I just thought, what on earth do I do now? You know, I never had a plan in the first place. The whole thing was to be this Olympian. And I felt like I failed at being an Olympian. And then I wanted to be a physical training instructor, which I failed at again. And I thought, I've just failed again. You know, if it's the third time, how on earth am I going to go from here and you just you just don't know and I think I hid so much from my family and friends and I just didn't know what to do because all they thought was a thumb sprain and I was just like kind of is it's just got a bit worse but I just was never truthful to myself or truthful to anybody else around me and obviously I had to break it too then that this has cost my career you know, I served ten and a half years in total, and it's all ended because it was what I thought was just a little thumb niggle. And, yeah, long story short, as soon as that happened, I went straight on uh, resettlement courses, and that's where I uh, was approached by Health for Heroes and Royal British Legion, and they just said, look, let's look at all these courses that you could do. Let's not worry about the future too much, but you do need to write a CV <laughs> and that's when it sort of dawned on me I've never had a CV in my life and the only job interview I ever had was for the careers office for the military and I think for them as long as you're you know you're safe and you're healthy and you've got your limbs and you know you're fairly sort of the average public person you probably can just join the military you know if you want to and yeah, I've got. I've realised, you know, I'm in my 20s and I've not got a CV and I don't know what I want to do in the future. 
and so had all these ideas and all these I don't know mixed emotions I think for so long and just that reality hitting but I think I just suppressed it for so long and that's when I was told to go on this course called the battle back course and it's basically for anybody who is had an injury and they want to go and learn how to do adventure training or just activities outside inside just to get out of your house and just have a break and just have a bit of fun and meet these people who are like-minded and me being me I just thought you know what I need to start saying yes more I need to actually say let's give it a go let's not say no before I've even tried and I think that's that was the the click that was the thing that I needed to actually be brave and actually try things and so I went on this course and they said have you heard about the Invictus games and I said I've heard of it you know don't really know anything about it and I assumed back then it was just for amputees and war veterans and that's me thinking well you know I've just got a thumb sprain I know it's a bit more than that but you know that's all I kept thinking and they said this guy I sort of made friends with but of course he's like why don't you just give it a go they've got some like they call it a like sports fest where they introduce you all the different types of adaptive sport and it's just like a try it day and I just thought I'll say yes because he's really annoying me now you know just to shut him up and just say fine yes I'll go and um, and I thought I'll just say yes let's just see what happens we swaps numbers and the day came where this uh, try it day came and I thought what do I actually do you know I can't go in I don't know what I'm doing I don't know anybody there and I had this complete brick wall that just stopped me doing anything on my own in a strange place even though I know if I go in it I would absolutely love it but it was just that fear of just not knowing how to walk in somewhere on your own and so I called my friend up and I said you know I'm here are you he's like yeah yeah I've just parked and I was like perfect I've just arrived even though I've been there half an hour in the car park and just uh, playing on my phone but I thought, you know, let's just play with this. This is going really well. And um, we met in the car park, and I was—I think I just had really good acting skills back then. I was like, yeah, yeah, should we go in? It'd be absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. When actually I was terrified, scared, wanted to cry and just crawl back in the car and just drive home and pretend it never happened. And it was the probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do, but the best, almost the best mistake, really. It was never planned. It was never something I aimed for. But just walking into that building almost changed the rest of my life. And I think every time I am at those brick wall moments, I just think this could make the rest of your life so much better if you just take that one step forward and just try and go into that building or into that room or that office. And it's sort of given me that positive mental attitude that actually if you don't try it how will you ever know and at least you can always say no afterwards and ever since that moment I walked in I found out I knew absolutely everybody and either I've treated them or I've been on a course with them doing resettlement activities of some kind or I've learned how to do a CV with them and it's just amazing what a big and small world the military can be at times 
and we all have this weird connection that you know most of us do get injured at some point in our lives but whether it's small or big that's just the unfortunate accident that actually brings us all closer together sometimes and walked in absolutely loved it and naturally I stuck with my friend the entire day like a little leech but uh it was great and I just thought you know let's just walk it's almost like going to a careers fair type feeling you don't almost want to be there but you know it's going to be it's going to work out really well for you if you do you know just put yourself out there a bit and it was great and I met all these people tried all these new sports I was introduced to rowing and sitting volleyball and there was a pool but I said no I'm not interested that's not for me at all but little did I know the friend I was with put my name down without me knowing and well I had a go at him later but I just thought no that's one spot I'm not going to touch I do not want to relive my past of failures constant and over and over and over again so I thought if I don't do it I can't fail and after that it came to the point where we had to start applying for the Invictus Games and actually choose whether we want to put our name forward for the team for selection or not and I think at that point I knew that actually I knew quite a few people who were in the same situation as me and I just thought you know what let's just give it a go and what's the worst that can happen you know they say no you say no you know I've not actually lost anything if anything it's a win-win situation I've tried it if not I've moved on and little did I know I was selected as a member of the 2018 Invictus Games Team UK to go to Sydney, which was absolutely surreal. And we got to take two members of our friends and family. So I took my parents. And I think that was the turning point because I never actually allowed them to watch me do sport ever since I was injured. I just said, no, you know. No, no spectators allowed or made some rubbish excuse up and it was the first time I thought we're going to have to see you do sport at some point let's just let them enjoy this as well as me and actually going to the Sydney Games in new sports I did indoor rowing which is a love-hate relationship I think for anybody it's one of those you don't want to do but you have great adrenaline afterwards and the other sport just happened to be swimming. I managed to get back in the pool and have all these new memories and not worry about this past and all this sort of doubt of, you know, not being good enough and not making the Olympics. When actually the Invictus Games was my Olympics. I represented my country. I had the Union Jack on my swimming costume and I was in this international arena. That's all I ever wanted. But this time, the only difference was I had to accept my sort of abilities, my new abilities that I've had to learn how to swim in a different way. Because by this point, my hand injury was slowly getting worse and it went up to my elbow and I was slowly losing function of this lower part of my right, right arm. And I sort of had to learn to swim one-armed in a really odd kind of way. I felt like Nemo, but it was something I just had to just learn I thought I'm not going to get to the other end of the pool I just don't learn how to do it in a slightly different way and I think the hardest part was accepting that it's not embarrassing and yes it's different people will stare 
but let them stare. You know, they're looking at something awesome in front of them. And I'm going to take this moment and do the best thing I possibly can to show them that actually nothing's going to stop me. And I just had this new onset of, like, powerness and just felt amazing that, you know, let's just do it one-armed. Why not? Let's just show them how to do it. And to have my parents watch me do it one-armed when my whole swimming career was doing this two-armed, you know, sort of almost a perfect body and everything that you always dreamt of when you were a child, to now in a world of adaptive sport where not everybody has their limbs, not everybody can use their limbs. Some have invisible injuries. And it's just, I think it's just made us closer as a family. I can actually speak to my parents more about it. And we have a, such a stronger relationship now that I call them every day and annoy them. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's just got us closer together. And I think after I did swimming, I cried, my mum cried. I said sorry. I don't know why I said sorry. She said sorry. She doesn't know why she said sorry. And we just had this newfound love for each other that family are family, no matter what. And friends are hate and miss, you know, it just depends who your friends are. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just proved to me that actually it doesn't matter what's happened, your family will always be there, you know, good times or bad times. And it's not just me going through this journey, they've seen probably the worst of the situations because they've had to witness it or be the other end of the arguments and yeah I think it completely changed my life just this whole world of adaptive sport and I think if Invictus Games didn't exist I don't know what I'll be doing right now if I'll even be in sport or you know no idea I'd definitely be a lot bigger <laughs> but um yeah I'm just glad it got me back into sport and those games truly were amazing and then most recently I had to decide whether I wanted to apply for another games or not and that was when I had to speak to sort of my rowing coach back then and I was just like what do you reckon I don't want to take someone else's spot because there's only limited spaces for the games for each team and she was like but Rach have you completed all your goals have you met them all have you actually got what you wanted out of it and I said most of it not everything I still want to build on my confidence and now I've just got into a like one arm swimming and one arm rowing I want to build on that and actually you know try and get a bit stronger and she was like well there you go don't you know it's not you being selfish it's you needing this to actually help you getting stronger as a person mentally and physically and I just thought, okay, let's do it. Let's just give it a shot. Worst case, they say no. I've been to a Games and I've had an amazing time and it's changed my life. So again, win-win situation. I thought, let's just apply again for the second Games, which were due to, due to take place in 2020. And let's just see what happens. And on the application, there was one aspect that I thought about, which was captaincy whether you go for vice-captain, captain, neither, or both. And I spoke to a few people before, and they're like, if you're going to a second Games, you've got the experience, you know what it's going to be like, why don't you put your name down for one of the captaincy roles? And I was just like, because I'm not a captain, you know, I've never led anything in my life. I'm quite happy someone telling me what to do, and I will happily do it. But they said, well, you've actually got those skills, 
even though you don't necessarily see them, you've got them. You know, just by you talking to someone, it's you leading them into your conversation. And that's when I thought, you know what, again, win-win, let's just go all in. If I'm going to apply for the Games, let's just say yes to captain and vice, and we'll just go from there. And little did I know, I was selected to be a member of the 2020 Invictus Games in The Hague, the Netherlands, and also invited for an interview to be either captain or vice-captain. And I was like, oh my God, an interview? Like, 20 to CV? Like, I was all panicking, like, what on earth happens at these interviews? And they say nothing actually gets... They don't tell you what to plan, you just have to turn up and this is who's going to be in the room. So it's complete blank. And I just thought, just be your lovely self, you know, just do what your mum says, just uh, give it your best shot, that's all you can do. It's, um, again, a win-win situation. You give it a go, if not. You know you've given it a go and, you know, you just won't be afraid of trying anymore. And I thought, you know what, let's just go for it. I can always tell them a really funny joke. And I had these backup ideas just in case it all went absolutely terribly wrong. And little did I know, I found out that evening that I was going to be the first ever female team captain for Team UK. And I was just, just gobsmacked. I think I never, ever saw myself in that situation. And I even asked my like, are you absolutely sure? Like, this isn't like a joke. And they said, no, we think you'd be a really good captain. You know, you've got the skills, you know, you talk to people, you've got that experience, you'll learn how to do it on the job. You know, you've got all of us around you. And I had two amazing vice captains as well. One of them was... Dave Morris, who I also went to 2018 games with, and Kelly, she was brand new to this game, so it was her first ever one. She went straight in as vice captain, which I think is absolutely amazing. Such a legend for doing that, because I honestly couldn't have done that my first time. And I was just reminded, you're never on your own. You know, you can ask for help. You've got the staff around you, you've got a team around you. This is still your journey. You just have to do a little bit extra in your responsibilities and talk more about it, spread the word more and um, go to some lovely events, you know, <laughs> which is always a little bonus sometimes. And it was, yeah, I think when it came round, we started getting into training again. I thought, you know what, this is great. And a majority of the team were brand new. So I thought, clean slate, let's just tell them more exactly how we found the 2018 games and tell them the experience and... I don't want to give too much away for them. I want them to experience it and have those surprises and those ups and downs that naturally come with a journey. And it wasn't until, obviously, the pandemic started to hit, we realised this is going to be a problem. And we didn't know if the Games were going to go ahead. It was supposed to be in May 2020. And then next minute they told us it was rearranged for April 21. And then we were told those were also cancelled. And we're at the point now where we were like, do the games actually go ahead or do we have to start with new applications because it's getting too close to the following games that were due in Dusseldorf in 22. And fortunate for us, we managed to postpone those games until this year, April 22, and the Dusseldorf games were pushed forward to September 23. So it gave us a chance to actually attend the games we were selected for. And... Yeah, even though we had a tough time during the pandemic and I think 
the only advice I told the team was just to look after themselves and their family. Just don't worry about sport during the pandemic because at the end of the day, your life and your family is far more important. Just enjoy it. We're here if you need to chat. And as soon as we can get back into training, we can and we will pick up to where we were. And I think in a strange way, the pandemic almost made us stronger because we got to know each other a lot better. And, you know, we had these silly challenges online. There was always some food-related challenge that we all loved doing. I think it was just because we all like eating. You know, it's just one excuse after another. <laughs> Too many Jaffa cakes, all I remember. And, um, yeah, little did we know, it finally got round to the Games this year in April. And I finally got to take my team to the Games like we originally planned. And I couldn't be any more proud of the team. You know, we had an amazing time. We had like 95 PBs and people were smashing their goals. We did all their sports. They were smiling, cheering. There was um, a few rumours of a few congas <laughs> that I might have started. <laughs> and um, and it was absolutely an amazing atmosphere. And I think because we've had it a lot harder than previous games where we've had a pandemic to cope with at the same time, it's almost made it extra special that we've had this extra time and to be in this Invictus sort of family much longer than expected and I also had to remind myself that actually it's not just me looking after a team or advising a team I'm on my own journey at the same time and that was when I had to focus on my own one-armed domination of the world and just keep doing the sport that I now enjoy and it's not always about the competitive side it's just about doing it for the fun not for pressurizing and lucky for me, that got me into a brand new sport, which is athletics discus, where I get to chuck a frisbee up a field and uh, we call it a sport, which is amazing. And even though my injury has got worse, my arm's gone up to my shoulder now, but I'm almost three times stronger with my other arm. And I'm happy and I'm enjoying life. I honestly couldn't be in a better place right now. And I think it's just amazing how so many bad things in your life can actually turn into such a positive outcome without you even realizing until you look back and you realize look what I've just done you know it might have been rubbish at the time but you've just smashed it and this is what you have as proof and for me I decided to get a tattoo which I had to obviously break down to my parents luckily we're chatting better <laughs> nowadays because I've got a giant I am on my wrist with a little uh Logan off the games because for me if I went to the Olympics I'll have the rings on my arm and I think I had to remind myself that yes that was a goal back in the day but I've been to my Olympics I've done two Olympics you know this is amazing and just remember how you're so much stronger than you think you are and just continue smashing life and if you have a bad day it's only natural but there'll be plenty more good days to come and I think that's just um yeah, just how rubbish things can turn to amazing things. And I wouldn't even be speaking to you guys probably two, three years ago. You know, I've got this confidence now just to tell my story and go out there and just give anything a go. And here I am today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for sharing um, your story with us. I find it so inspirational and I'm sure it's not always been like this but I love sort of the positivity and the humor that you you bring to it as well it's it's really nice that you know after 
you said you've been through a few rubbish things and you can still be really positive and and funny with it as well and and like I said I'm sure it's not always been sort of as easy to to do that but um but I sort of wanted to ask you and and sort of start at the the beginning of of the journey that you sort of just described to us with the um the swimming when you were a child and and through your teenage years as well and I wanted to sort of ask about the challenges that you faced in sport then because sort of what springs to my mind is sort of balancing the demanding swimming training routine and and school because I went to school with an Olympic diver and and he was never at school (laughs) Um, and you obviously mentioned you know going to training at 3am and and I can I can only imagine what that would be like sort of when all your friends are focusing on academic pursuits or and socializing at that sort of age as well and um, and sort of what sort of challenges did you did you face there at, at that time? I think for me it's because the main part of my swimming career was my teenage years where naturally you get moody anyway <laughs> and you hate everybody. I think it, it just made everything a lot worse. But um, yeah, I think secondary school, yeah, they, they didn't see me very often. I had to have permission to be late every single day and it was mainly down to my parents. My mum did all the training and my dad did all the competitions because it was just draining them as well as myself. And I think when I was that sort of the younger sort of teenage years, I just saw it as, you know, let's just go swimming. Let's just, you know, being told you've got to swim at this time. And I was like, okay, let's go and swim at this time. I never really saw it as um, anything more than that, just let's go swimming, you've got to get up early for it because it's before, you know, the oldies get in the pool and that's just when the club train. I never really thought about it too much. But I suppose it was when I was getting more towards GCSE times and exams and that was when I realised this is harder to juggle than I ever imagined. So I was still training five hours a day and the pool I was training at wasn't actually down the road. We had to drive an hour and a half each way because I was training with this this GB coach in Northampton and we were living in Sporting in Lincolnshire. So even though it was five hours in a pool a day, it was also six hours in a car as well as seven hours at school. And it was literally, I think I just smelled the chlorine and everybody probably just moaned at me. I think I got in trouble quite a bit, but that's probably just out of tiredness more than anything. And... I think that was mainly the struggles, which was getting the balance right and trying to enjoy everything that I was doing. And I wasn't academic at all. I was absolutely, I wasn't rubbish. I was probably, you know, safe average for everything. But I was this hyperactive little girl. But I just, whenever it came to PE class, I was the quickest one to get changed because I just wanted to do whatever sport or activity it was. And everybody else was almost like the complete opposite they were there with their homework done and I was saying oh I left it at the pool or you know I just didn't do it I had every excuse going and yeah it was definitely a difficult time but I definitely had the support looking back like the head teacher was great he would always say you know it's or or say my name in assembly because I've got a medal or something like the Midland champions or something championships and Eventually, I think my school now has became like a sports academy, so it'd probably be better now, nowadays, with what we know from what we did back then in the, well, years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Yeah, definitely it was challenges. I think, yeah, the younger years, I probably didn't see it as a challenge. I just thought it was fun. And I think as soon as I was getting towards those, sort of towards those Commonwealth era, when I was sort of between 14 and 16, that was when the pressure was really starting to hit. And it got to a case where your friends you were training with were beating you in races and I was getting more competition and you had to almost realise that they're just trying to do their best they're not having a go at you they're not saying I'm better than you you must be terrible it was just that dog-eat-dog world and just that competitive nature that you just have to get your mind over and I think I definitely had dark periods which made it much harder where I if I had a bad training session or if someone I know is slower than me, actually swam faster than me, I'll take it personally, and I'll have a go at my parents, I'll be like, this is rubbish, I'm going to quit every two days, and, and yeah, it was just depression, I think just, I think nowadays it'll probably be, I don't know, more sort of technology or more open talking with mental health and, you know, sports health and psychology tips, it'll probably be easier and more adaptable and less challenging I guess than what it was back then definitely I want to add to that um earlier it kept on saying um how you enjoy it um so I want to ask you how important is it to enjoy the sport that you're doing oh hugely important why would you do a sport if you don't enjoy it that's the main question you know it's you have to break it down like do you if you're getting up at a certain time or if you're training every single day, what's your goal, you know? And surely if you're doing it, you must enjoy it one way or another. And I think fun can probably be seen as sort of different ways. You can either enjoy it in a competitive nature where you do get good days and bad days, or do you have fun where you're just going along, having a little splash about or, you know, hit a ball. So I think it's very important. You need to have some sort of connection with that sport, whatever it is, whether whatever standard. You know, it doesn't have to be competitive. It can just be, you know, a weekly session at the gym or something. But if you don't have some passion towards it or some goal, and if you don't enjoy it, you're just going to make it a lot harder. So I think it's, yeah, very important. Yeah. And sort of on that, um, so I can sort of... Um, relate a little bit I used to run um for my my county when I was younger and I then got knee injuries which basically just mean that I can't can't run anymore um and so I really enjoyed running like you really enjoyed swimming and then once that sort of was I felt like that was taken away from me and then it sort of it sort of brought up those mental challenges as well as dealing with the physical challenges of an injury and then I sort of thought I'm never going to enjoy anything other than running again so how is it and I've actually found weightlifting you know like you found sort of rowing and things as well and how is it do you think that you personally found those other sports that that you could enjoy when I'm sure there was probably a time that you thought you know this injury has has come and I'm never going to be able to do these these things again yeah definitely I I quit sports so many times and I find myself going back to it. So there's obviously a connection or something that, you know, that's in the back of my head that just has to keep peeking forward every now and again saying, this is what you enjoy, this is what you need to do. And I think my entire swimming career when I was a child, I never really had an injury. I was 
you know, just one of these flexible little kids that just never got anything into become an adult and, you know, things are harder and heavier <laughs> and slower. <laughs> it takes a lot more effort. But it wasn't until this injury playing rugby in a brand new sport that I didn't really know too much about, only played it for a couple of years. And I think it just brought back every negative aspect of my life, whether it was sport related or not. It just had that reality of I failed. I can't possibly do anything ever again. Nothing. And I almost had that sort of switch where I've gone from happy mode to, you know, miserable mode. And I just thought, I've got an injury. I can't do sport. I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to quit. I don't deserve to have fun. I don't deserve to do sport again. Why do I keep going back to something that will just knock me down? And I think, yeah, it wasn't until I actually realised... I sort of asked myself, why am I doing sport? What's the actual purpose of it? Like, what gets me out of bed every day and what gets me into that sporting atmosphere? And I think I just had to realise that not everything has the outcome of being an Olympian. Why do I have to keep trying to be this Olympic mindset all the time? Why can't I just do sport and have fun? And I think it just never dawned on me that actually you can do it without being competitive you can actually just go to the gym you can just do it just you know have some exercise stop making things a lot harder than they need to be and that was when I sort of reevaluated my life and I just thought yes I'm injured but that doesn't stop me walking that doesn't stop me breathing doesn't stop me thinking for myself and I think it wasn't until I was in this adaptive sport world that I realized actually it's, so, it's only a limb, you know. There's people who have one limb, two limbs, three limbs, or they have these invisible injuries where it could be absolutely horrific for them inside their head. And yet I'm just looking at the outside thinking, well, what's your problem, you know? And I think having that sort of outlook and that onset, that's when I realised, yes, you're injured, but nothing's stopping me from giving it a go. I've just got to try it. And I think because I was developing this new positive mindset that actually you can just give it a try. Yes, it's scary, but it might also be the best thing you've ever decided to try. And I think even though injuries can be absolutely terrifying at the time, however small or big they are, as long as you find something you find fun, whether it's sport or not, even if it's just a hobby or reading or writing, or just going for a walk, just get yourself back into that mindset, but just change how you do it slightly. There's nothing stopping you. You just have to be brave and take that step forward again. And I think that's exactly what I had to learn to do and just realise, you know, not everything ends up at the Olympics, but your Olympics could be getting up on time or making your bed. And it's all these small wins that I realised they're just as important in your life as much as the you know, having these giant goals at the end of the year. Just focus on the small things. And I think that's what realised that, you know, you can do this sport, however, you know, terrible you might feel at the time, but you can really push yourself forward and just do it for the fun of it, for the passion, and to socialise and meet new people. So it might be terrible, but, yeah, you can definitely do it. You just have to take that step forward. Thank you so much um, for sharing that. Um, I mean, 
I think I remember you um, saying um, in my research that sport is a is a great way of recovery, um, which I find interesting because um, from what you said, it seems that sometimes sport can be, I don't know, a bit of a a bit of a double edged sword because um, you know sword because um, sport can can in some way harm you as well as uplift you. What do you think about that? The fact that it can give you opportunities, but at the same time, this, the sports industry can be quite toxic. Definitely, I think when I was younger, all I remember seeing was these sort of finesse, sort of looking like God, like athletes and goddesses, and just looking like shimmering and amazing. And like I know social media, luckily, when I was growing up, wasn't as strong as it is today. I'm sure all those young sort of kids and teenagers doing sport now it must be so much harder with social media about and the pressures that they have and to look up to the reputation of these people on posters and films and I think that was probably one bonus I didn't have to sort of worry about back then but it definitely was a bit of um I think especially there was more men in sport back then. There is still today, but I think women's sport is definitely getting out there more. Like, it will take time, but it's definitely on the up. And I think it's just making, and especially adaptive sport, you know, to even have the Invictus Games with the BBC, you know, to have people watch that on TV. So it's definitely um, on the up for women's and adaptive sport, especially and I think people have realised that it's not always football and it's not always men that, you know, have to take the limelight all the time. Why should they, you know? We're just as awesome, if not better. And, you know, we can show them exactly what we do. And they're not the alpha male, you know, it's the alpha female nowadays. And I think, yeah, I think I was quite lucky, obviously, not having social media when I was younger because that probably would have made it so much harder with people tweeting and posting their amazing swimming times and that would probably have made me so much worse off thinking oh well they've just done this time believing that everything online is true and is real and you know it's um, not the twitter bible anymore it's uh, <laughs> you know real life does happen so I think it's definitely uh, it probably was hard back then I think especially who I looked up to were Olympians there was never that mid-range you know why do I look at a county person or a midland person or just someone who's done amazing in their school for me it was nothing or Olympian and that was all I knew of and yeah I think it's definitely changing ways nowadays I think more schools are probably showing you know this is what their sports club do nowadays and there's more activities for kids and local communities and it's definitely getting better. It's not quite there yet. I think we could definitely do a lot more to uh, raise the awareness. But um, it can be a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And I should say like a double-ended sword. But I think if you have the right mentality and not believe everything you read on the internet and, you know, you can enjoy sport for what it is and just not worry about results and not worry about positions even though that might be all you have to worry about, but why don't you just take your mind off it and, you know, just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. 
And speaking of sort of that toxicity, social media, and then also kind of tying that in with um, raising awareness as well, sort of something that I'm really passionate about is how the pandemic has affected people um, in sport. And I know that sort of social media has perhaps had, I guess, a negative impact on a lot of people who were sort of sat at home looking at all these people posting like these amazing projections of their perfect bodies, which, you know, and and kind of thinking I'm sat at home in my garden not looking like that and and it it kind of almost I think some people some people posted on social media a lot over lockdown I sort of remember seeing that oh I'm going to create this new me and take this time to create this new me and I found it quite hard myself to kind of stay motivated during that time and then you're seeing all these people that are saying I'm going to be you know whether it's doing sport or the, like people who are saying I'm going to read 10 books or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that and sort of how do you um sort of see that toxicity that was put out um sort of during the pandemic and how that's affected people in sport I think particularly sort of young people who maybe were doing sort of PE and things at school and then suddenly all that was was taken away from them and then they were seeing all these things on on social media as well how how do you sort of um feel about that as well I think it surprised me how many people have realised that a pandemic had to make them do sport or make them change who they are. Why couldn't they have done it before the pandemic? And, you know, that might just be me being me, but I just think, you know, if you've... It shouldn't have to be down to a pandemic to make you do sport or activities that you've always wanted to do or to change yourself into a better, new and improved person. Yeah. If you want, if you've always wanted to do it, you could just do it. And I know time got to people, and obviously working from home was a whole new aspect a lot of people had to sort of get used to. But I think again, it's it's almost like fifty-fifty. You get those who say, "Oh, you know, I'm going to be the new me. I'm going to, you know, be this person and you know, prove myself." But I can actually do this and some of those generally were genuine you know they just needed the time to actually exercise to have fun to ch- to do a new hobby that we've always wanted to do and they've just not had the time but then you've got the other half who used it as getting the limelight thinking you know this is my one shot I just want to get fame I just want people to see who I am and sort of use it in a greed sort of way and I think for especially for me and trying to captain a team in the pandemic I had 60 odd members in the team and to try and get all of them focused and not worry about other people of the team training more than they are and to not worry about you know oh we're not going to be as fit as them and they're not going to do as well at the games that was where I had to ensure that they either didn't look at that on the internet you know stop making yourself worse by looking into this sort of stuff and just focus on yourself and some people need to show what they've done sport-wise to make themselves almost achieve what they want to achieve during that time and then you get the others who do it and they just think oh yeah you know it's absolutely fine they're doing their thing and I'm doing my thing that's not going to affect me too much and I think especially with say children as you say and with kids nowadays getting phones younger and younger and they haven't access to all this content online it can be toxic and I think that's where they have to 
either limit their use online or, you know, don't have a phone that long or try and, you know, get them outside in the garden rather than inside looking at the phone thinking, you know, this person's just a this and that will never be me because that will just uh, knock their sort of aspirations of what they want to be when they're older and trying all these new activities, whether it's in school or out of school. And, yeah, I think the pandemic's definitely been hit and miss for everybody. And, yeah, I think some of those use it and they just think, you know, this is a great opportunity to give something a go. And then, yeah, you definitely get those who just think, oh, look at me, me, me. I'm amazing. I've just done 10 miles in two minutes. And you're like, well, that's not right. If that makes you happy, that is absolutely great. But you're lying to yourself and it's not exactly going to help you mentally or physically if that's, you know, really what you want to do. So, um, yeah, it's definitely an unusual world. And I think for me, I just have to ensure my team focused on the main goals of their life. Don't worry about things online and obviously their children as well. So I think they pass on that information that actually not everything online is true not everything online is good for you but actually it can be especially with joe wicks doing all of his school morning gym sessions you know that was amazing that got families closer together and it got you know children being active during sofa sitting period and um i think for me the only positive i got was i got to have a bit of a lion <laughs> you're quite nice i'm not a lion in ages so um yeah, I think that was definitely a positive effect of uh, the pandemic was uh, having a bit more sleep, but probably too much. So, uh, yeah, I need to work on that sort of sleep <laughs> cycle better. But, um, but yeah, definitely, um, I see it both ways, I think, is probably my answer. I see it definitely yeah. both ways. I heard in the pandemic that um, you checked on your teammates, I believe, was it every other month? Um what other responsibilities do you have as, you know, the, the captain of Team UK that people might not know about? And um, what would you say, as additional question, is um, one of the most challenging things about being a Victor's Game athlete? Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I checked in with the team every other month, mainly because I didn't want to do it too regular. And I think with the pandemic being longer and longer and as soon as it started hitting a year I'd sort of I think I started off doing it a bit closer almost every other week and then I realized this is actually going a bit longer now let's get people a bit of break there's only so many messages I think the guys like having off me so um yeah I just wanted to make sure that I just checked in and just said I hope you and your family are okay just concentrate on yourself don't worry about the games don't worry about sport just do whatever you need to do to keep yourself happy and in a positive mindset whether that's doing sport or whether that's just sitting down watching a film together I really didn't mind what it was and I just wanted to remind them that we are still there if they wanted to talk to us and we still had um, psychological support if they needed it we had the coaches if they wanted to ask questions and lucky for us our sponsors helped us with training during lockdown so we've managed to get some workouts at home that we could do and some equipment to do some little mini circuits together and just chatting to each other online like we are today and just being able to see each other's faces and have a laugh and I think by the end of it we'll probably do weekly if not fortnightly chats of just talking rubbish because I think that's what the military gave us <laughs> in in a positive way is that we just talk rubbish really well <laughs> and there's always some sort of banter that's you know 
a bit too past the line and um, not very PC, but I think we have to get it out every now and again and actually feel like we're back in the military again just by having these like really crude chats sometimes. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that they were okay. I think that was all I wanted to do. It was just a one sentence text and it was down to them if they wanted to reply or not. And I think that was the most important part that I think I could have done. I wasn't too sure what to do. I've never really, I've never led before, never been a captain before. But I think for me, it was just mainly down to communication. If you communicate, then everything else flows afterwards. And I think that's what I learned is actually I can open myself a bit more and talk more just by starting with this one little text that half the time went into a two hour chat just talking about rubbish and how much we've eaten and you know how many beer mats we can flip at home because it's our <laughs> new challenge and yeah I think it's definitely it's definitely been a strange period but it's not one we're ever going to forget and that was the ironic part about my tattoo I managed to get the Hague 2020 in a little C and the C was supposed to be for captain but actually people tell me it's 2020 COVID so even though the games are postponed I've now got a tattoo which reminds me of COVID all the time which is great <laughs> but um, and going on to your second question I think being a captain it's I think at the beginning I really didn't know what to expect apart from spreading the word talking to the media and just telling members of the Invictus team whether selected or not just what it does and what it's all about and how it can help you and to ask any questions that they have and I think being I think what I've learned about myself is actually I am stronger than I than I think I am and I am definitely more confident than I ever thought I was and it's one of those roles where my vice captains are probably more in probably speak to the team a bit more than I do and I probably speak more to staff behind the scenes and to the sponsors and so throughout the pandemic I was telling our sponsors exactly what we were doing and I was thanking them for providing this kit and it was it's down to them we actually managed to go to the games in the end because we already spent all our money for the 2020 games because it was only a week or two prior that it was cancelled and we were like what do we do now you know our sponsor contracts have all finished but we all still want to get to the games and it was just that was probably the part that people don't realise is probably half of my effort is actually just chatting to the outside world outside of our team and just telling them exactly what we're doing as a team what we've accomplished what training camps we've been doing and just how the team are getting on in general and our goals as a team and and as individuals and I think just by having that awareness and telling all those sponsors that have actually given us money to have this amazing time, I think that's really paid off. And I was very fortunate I got to meet a lot of the sponsors in person and I got to tell them exactly what it's like. And um, quite a few of them came out to the games as well. So it was just great to actually have them for the entire journey to say, this is selection. This is what the pandemic's been like. This is us back in training. And this is us at the games absolutely smashing it and having a, an amazing time and just having smiles on faces. And I think people probably don't see that part of me because, well, it's just not something you would naturally think about, you know, to think, oh, the games, you know, it's just down to your sport and team. You don't actually think about the sponsors and the people 
and all the staff members, you know, the amount of staff members we have that actually help us get to where we need to be and plan all the training camps and, you know, the team manager. And it's just amazing how such a small team really can actually help us go to something absolutely amazing and on an international scale. And, yeah, it was just absolutely amazing. We couldn't have done it without all those people involved. Yeah. And so sort of on on that note, sort of um, as we move past COVID and and you've um, obviously sort of built your, your confidence and um, and your, your abilities as well, what do you think sort of the the future in sport looks like for you? Um, for me, I'm still training, which is great. You know, it's um, it doesn't end at the games. Uh, recovery journeys for everybody involved with the team still continues. And we all now get to go out into the open world post-games, post-pandemic, and actually continue on whatever our goals are or create new goals. And for me personally, I joined an athletics club, which I never, ever thought I would do in my entire life because I think I think athletics and I think running, which I will never do. <laughs> You'll never see me running unless it's for a buffet or there's a fire, I think. And yeah, I've joined a club, so I'm actually uh, throwing the discus now every week. And I think for me, it actually made me realise how much throwing something helps with stress and anger and frustration. Because I think for so many years, my mum will probably tell you that she takes the blunt end of all my <laughs> sort of comments and trying to prove her wrong every time. And uh, and you know, these short, sharp answers when actually. I found that yes, swimming was great and rowing was great, but actually chucking something up a field actually has done me wonders, and I'm sort of less frustrated nowadays, and I can actually enjoy doing something. So it's quite strange and amazing to say I've joined a club and to not be competitive just for fun, which I never ever thought I would ever say or do. Um, swimming, I've not touched too much, but. Um, I think I probably probably dabble into it every now and again. I'm not really um, too focused on that. And indoor rowing, I bought myself an indoor row machine. And um, luckily, just before the pandemic, before everybody bought indoor rowers. And for me, I'm gonna keep just training probably once a week. I think I'm aiming for at the moment just to um, just for general fitness and put it in front of the TV. And that's me sorted for half an hour. And I recommend that episode of Friends is perfect for any activity, <laughs> gym-wise or otherwise. I it's love Friends, so... <laughs> it's so easy to watch, and it's, like, easy exercise to do whilst <laughs> watching it. And, um, and yes, yeah, so I'm just going to keep rowing. I do the British Rowing Indoor Champs every December, and in the pandemic I started doing commentating as well for them, which was quite a nice sort of new skill to learn. And... I also, I suppose me being competitive again, I can't help myself sometimes. <laughs> I know I've sort of gotten over it and I'm doing everything for fun, but actually I do like a good race. <laughs> I, just during the pandemic, I managed to get, I think it was like 10 world records and nine British records just in indoor rowing, just mainly because no one's actually taken them because you don't get many one-armed rowers that have an indoor row machine at home. That was the little um, the click in it, but... 
I thought, you know what, I'm going to take every re- every uh, record and just get my name on that website. <laughs> so um, I think, yeah, I've got to keep that going now. But, um, but who knows? I think, yeah, I'm just doing exercise for fun now and athletics every week, row whenever I fancy it and swim as and when a holiday comes about probably. <laughs> You make me like want to do some sport or go for um, a walk after this. I've got a hula hoop in the garden. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, that was my thing, like skipping hula hoops when I was a child. Um, I was quite good, but um, but yeah, you you just make me want to just like um, when I leave, you know, the core, just 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 get, you know, I don't know, just just exercise and you know get those steps in. <laughs> Um, but it was really lovely talking to you and you sharing your story. I like how um, authentic you are and that you're true to yourself and that um, you don't hide um, the difficulties that you've experienced because I know a lot of the times, I guess, for people wanting to get into sports, it's hard to get past the um, the competitive zone and how, you know, these sports women, these sports people are all perfect and they, they don't have... Um, downfalls but I guess with everything you do have you do have your downfalls and you do but that doesn't like I for me in life it's just like trying to get away from like it's the end of the world and there's nothing else for me and it's really nice to like know that you've got all these like successes outside of um swimming like in the room with all the gold medals that you have and it's just amazing to hear it thank you it's um I'm surprised myself to be honest I think Back then, all you ever dread is, you know, the bad things that are happening and, you know, if you, it's almost fake it till you make it slogan, you know, just, um, but just have fun along the way and that's the, like, yes, I've got some amazing medals and a lot of the time, especially with social media, thinking, oh, great, you know, you've got all these medals, that's absolutely amazing, but I think that's the beauty of Invictus because our medal is just getting there. And our medal is just giving something a go and just because we have a medal around our neck doesn't mean we're not as worthy or not as amazing as the person without a medal around our neck and I think that's the beauty of it we can sort of have that adaptive sport world and yes it's extra memorabilia but the memories and the focus and the goals is exactly what we're there for to uh, build on our recovery so it's um yeah definitely surprising what I've gone through but so much happier nowadays you just have to trust yourself that bad times happen but good times will also happen no absolutely and um i appreciate you sharing your story and like i said being so sort of um positive and and funny with it as well um it just brings that sort of nice fresh perspective because you know i i'm the queen of feeling sorry for myself sometimes and i know it's probably one of the easiest things to do um and so it's really hard, I think, sometimes to, to have that positive outcome, especially when you've faced, like, continuous knockbacks as well. It's not just sort of one, it's several, and, and it can be sort of quite easy to fall into that rut. So um, it's been really inspirational to, to hear your story and, and hear that, you know, the plans that you've got for the future and for carrying on as well. It's it's really great, and thank you so much for, for sharing it with us. No problem. Thank you for having me on and uh, just spreading the word. You know, you can do it. Just give it a go. Uh-huh.